Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. Hello, welcome to episode 53 of the PHP Town Hall. You have uh, myself, Ben Evans, here with Amanda Folsom, and Jessica Rose is our guest today. Hey, Lovelace. Uh, we were just discussing something. We're just going to kind of jump into this. We were discussing how the uh, the intro music needs to be updated for Amanda instead of Phil. I can uh, be Phil. I figured we had a couple of options, right? I'll just like pull it up in an audio editor and just blank out where it says Phil and just throw in like Amanda real quick. <laughs> so like, you got to be really into bikes and cider and turtles. I can do that. Like um, a specific type of turtle? He's got a red-eared slider, right? That's I have what no yeah, pretty sure he is. Um, no, I, I can be into turtles. I like turtles. Um, I have two bikes sitting over here, which is right. one's on a trainer. So I can be Phil. I'm okay. much fatter than Phil, yeah. unfortunately, but I can pretend. Yeah, I, <laughs> I call him a bobblehead lately because he's like super skinny with a big head. Aww. Aww. Well, Aww. And I don't. <laughs> this is more bullying than I thought would happen. Well, no, I mean, he quit, so it's fair game. It is fair game. And he keeps breaking himself, so... Yeah, yeah. I feel like he needs a little tormenting. Need to kind of salt that wound a little bit. <laughs> All right, let's... Uh, should we jump right in? Yeah, let's jump into some stuff. Uh, first off, Jessica, who are you? What do you do? Favorite color? Shit like that. Jesus. Well, um, sorry, it's it's uh, 1.30 in the morning here, so I'm fairly sure uh, that I'm Jessica Rose. Um, I was once asked my favorite color by someone in... Uh, the customs and immigration section of an airport, and I, I just couldn't deal with that. I don't think I'm not sure grown-ups have favorite colors. I'm not sure is what there, they would have like checked up on. Is there like a wrong answer? Like, oh, you, I don't know. Like, like yeah. he was looking at the computer. Like, what was he? Is it like some MySpace page you had years ago? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, how would they know? No. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm a contracting uh, consultant and developer relations. I'm working with CrateDB and helping them. We've got an open source SQL database that's really good for machine data. So helping them reach some more developers with that. Uh, yes. okay. Founded is it like cloud-based or is it installed or what's the... Oh, it's installed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was about to be like, do whatever you want with it. But like, don't, don't break it ideally. Uh, Ideally, actually, if you can find a way to break it, email me and I'll send you some swag. All right. Is it uh, <laughs> is it like Mongo where it just doesn't save data and that's a feature, or is it? Like I that would be broken? I'm not gonna talk smack about Mongo because they're really nice too. <laughs> um, we've put a lot of thought into how to minimize data loss. Although I All think right. the the whole rule about DevRel and databases is you're supposed to never say the words data and loss next to each other. Mm. Makes sense. Started out being terrible at everything. Good. 
All right, so we can jump in and just kind of go through a little bit of DevRel, right? So I don't do DevRel, so I'm a little bit like outside in. Might ask some dumb questions, but uh, both Amanda and Jessica do. Uh, so uh, I guess we have a little list here. So let's start out with um, like the the volatility of it, the ups and downs, was something we had a note of. So what's it like with? I assume like you're traveling a bunch and then you end up home with nothing to do for a little while. Like, how does it all work? Yeah, there's kind of a few different flavors of it. So like every company kind of has their own spin on DevRel. Um, in general, I sort of see it as a like a crazy Venn diagram of like product management, engineering, a little bit of sales, some marketing, um, some customer support, like just you sit kind of somewhere in the middle of all that. So I mean, typically there's stuff to do. It's just it kind of depends on your organization, kind of depends on what you do in your downtime, at least in my experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're pretty much you're on the road all the time. Um, I was on the road for three months straight last year, and that was Ooh. pretty barbaric. Yeah, yeah, um, that was a little rough. Um, I mean, it was my choice. Uh, the company I work for, they were like, "Yeah, uh, you can slow down," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm probably gonna do that." And they're <laughs> like, "Okay." Um, so I accidentally got accepted to a bunch of conferences I didn't think I would get accepted to, um, <laughs> and that's kind of how that happened. Anyway, um, yeah, so like. It is pretty volatile. It's always changing. Um, it's kind of hard to, to measure success in as well. Uh, so everybody, like, that's the million-dollar question in DevRel. like, how do you measure success? How do you measure ROI of all this stuff? Because, you know, you spend $5,000 sending people to, to Berlin or whatever. Like, you better be able to justify that spend. Um, so some companies get it. Some companies don't. Um, DevRel tends to be, like, the group that's laid off pretty soon. I was like, going to say it seems to fall in and out of fashion. Yeah, uh, quite a yeah. Bit. And, um, and that actually, it's not in my best interest to say, but it kind of makes a lot of sense. Where it's a little it. bit newer, it's a little bit more human, it's difficult for folks uh, who have just come into an organization to see why it might exist if they're not familiar with it. Yeah, um, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, it's one of those things where it's like, it's very faith-based. So like people know it works, but nobody really knows how it works. There's no like one size fits all DevRel program for any company out there. Like, I mean, even just, you can have two companies that do the same thing and have completely different approaches to DevRel. Um, but like you kind of need buy-in from everybody uh, to make that work well, I think. I think as well that because it's newer, the the distance from metrics or the the challenging time finding metrics seems a lot newer. So working in traditional marketing or working in sales, the stuff, people who've been working in marketing for ages or people who've been working in sales for ages really want to say like, oh, you know what, this is really data-driven. We're really making decisions on the numbers. Day-to-day, -day, a lot of times that's not happening. So day-to-day, -day, you still see a lot of people um, and even even not in the sales or marketing side, even in the engineering side, or even on the product side. Uh, so I was a linguist before I got into technology, uh, and I'm really really interested in how we rank communication input. Uh, so if somebody you know personally tells you something in person one to one, if I come to you and I say, "Hey, do you know what this feature just doesn't work for me at all? Uh, I'd like it to look like this." The way we weight different inputs and in communication, that's going to feel a lot more meaningful than 10 support tickets or a bunch of emails. So yeah, even though sure. we, we really like to think we're using these numbers to make decisions, across a lot of different parts in technology, we're still using a lot of squishy human things. Yeah, which is um, I've definitely run into that. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think that's where like the buy-in becomes really important because it's like people need to understand. Like I've sent tweets out that had 
over like 30,000 impressions. Like it didn't get as many retweets, obviously, but it's like that had a big impact. A lot of people saw that tweet, whereas some of the tweets, they only get like 20, but they might get more retweets than the other one did. So it's like there's a lot of, yeah, fuzzy metrics that kind of go into that. It's like, well, <laughs> uh, this tweet did really, really well, but if you're only counting retweets, it didn't. Or if you're only counting favorites or likes or whatever the crap they're called now, um, then like it didn't do that well. But according to the the data on the back end, like it actually did pretty well. So, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, um, it's weird and interesting. I've done things like counting how many tickets I replied to or counting how many tweets I replied to. And ultimately, I don't think those things have the biggest impact. Um, I would much rather look at how many people I engaged with um, versus how many tweets, like how many, like there needs to be a way to weight the engagement. You know, is it I helped this person fix a problem or is it this person said thank you to us and we just said, hey, you're welcome. Like, thanks for using our product. Um, and I don't think there's a really good scale for that just yet. Um, but I think having that kind of measurement would be way more impactful in DevRel. There was, I'm going to be absolutely terrible and look this up. There was a wonderful uh, speaker, not this year at London DevRelCon, but the year before. And I cannot find who it is. Um, Oh, I believe uh, it was a, a really fantastic lady from IBM speaking. And she oh, was, was it Lorna? Uh, no, no. Was, uh, Lorna's just recently started, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess so, that would have been This nice. was last year. I think uh, Laura Cohen? I might okay. be making a name, and I, I feel terrible. She's fantastic. Uh, was talking about how you get these, uh, these things, these activities you're working on that have for metrics but that a lot of time the value is in this sort of difficult to quantify warm fuzziness. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a pretty big thing in DevRel is the fuzzy metrics. Like, they're things that you can measure, but they're not necessarily the most impactful things. But if you need numbers, like, those are the things you look at um, and kind of figure out what success means for your organization based on those numbers. But yeah, I mean, it just... <laughs> There's really no way to measure a lot of those things. Like if I spend $20 to send somebody a t-shirt, we're probably not going to see that $20 come back. Um, sometimes they tweet about it. Sometimes we don't hear anything from them. But like, it's really hard to measure. It's, ex it's expensive. You have yeah, no idea. Like I, you get that money back. <laughs> um, I, I, I was speaking to... Um, oh dear, who was I speaking to? I was speaking to... Uh, Phil, who's up at Nexamo now, about metrics a while ago, because he's, he's just fantastic about everything. I think mm -hmm. it runs with being a Phil. Yep. <laughs> uh, and he was saying, he was like, well, the, the thing to remember about numbers is it's fantastic to be able to show all of this, uh, but don't forget that you're never going to talk someone in to, to, keep, to like keeping your job around with numbers. Yeah. Um, which was fantastic. So for a long time, I was really, build all these forms, build all this, build all that. Uh, but with Crate, it's been a lot of sort of getting a little bit more space to do what feels the most useful. Say, hey, let's go ahead and get some local user groups started for people. Hey, let's go ahead and uh, spend the time and chat to people about what features they think are more valuable. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, no, um, going back to the whole volatility aspect of it, I feel like DevRel is the first thing to get cut. Um, like when people are like, yeah, we're spending a lot of money. DevRel is like, it's a big, it's a big ticket item. I mean, you know, you're sending people all over the world to speak at events and, you know, paying salary and 
it's it's hard to measure uh, people up top if they're not bought into it. They don't understand it. They're like, oh, well, you know, you spent twelve thousand dollars last quarter on airline fare. You know, why? What did we get out of that? It's like, well, we interacted with these people, and these people are giving talks at this user group now, and to some higher ups, it's not very compelling. Um, so I, I feel like it's really easy to lose your job in Devrel. <laughs> very, very Although, easy to lose your job. When, when you look at how long people tend to stay in it, people are in a role for a year and a half, two years, and that doesn't feel too much different than the turnover in sort of high-demand engineering roles. I think that's true. Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like the shelf life is 12 to 18 months for people who do DevRel. It seems like I, I see people doing DevRel and then two years down the line, it's like they're, they're back to engineering or they're doing product management and things like that. Uh, yeah, the turnover rate is really, really yeah, so high. I know, I know like with a lot of my friends at least, it's been, <clears throat> I know we said we didn't want to touch this, right, but burnout. Um, it seems yeah. like burnout's really hard with DevRel. And I don't know if it's mm -hmm. that the job's actually that demanding or if it's just a hard transition from engineering. Um, but it seems pretty rampant. Um, I think it could realistically be a bit of both. Um, so, I mean, like, for, for my travel schedule, it was just absolutely insane. And don't get me wrong, like, I love what I do. But there are times, you know, I was... Uh, towards the end of last year, in October, I went to from San Francisco to Berlin, uh, was in Berlin for three days and then came back to San Francisco, was oh. in San Francisco for a few days and then went to London for a few days oh. and then came back to San Francisco for a few days and then was in Amsterdam for a while. At least I got to stay in Amsterdam for, well, the Netherlands in general for about two weeks, but just absolutely barbaric. And, you know, I was just tired and I'd get home and like coming back wasn't a big deal, but going over there was just killer because they're all red-eye flights. I don't sleep on planes. Like, I just, I can't, even if I take drugs, like, I can't do it. So I'm awake the entire time. <laughs> and it's just, uh, at least from my perspective, like, that's really the worst part, is just travel all the time. And then you have to, you're tired, but you have to pretend that you're not tired, and you're just, like, super amped to be there. You love talking to people, when in all actuality, you probably just want to go take a nap. <laughs> so for me, like, the, the travel got to be a bit challenging as well. Um, and I... I don't know. Mm, I'll, I'll fess up. I'm not necessarily a very good adult anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like basic human things I've, I've never been uh, fantastic at. I will um, fess up to that immediately. Uh, but th I think the, the travel demands for DevRel mean that you've either got to be somebody who, who doesn't have a family or some, be somebody who has someone else in your family really picking up a lot of your slack. Yeah. Um, um, I agree. So my husband left his job and started being a house husband, uh, which is absolutely the only reason I could get to conferences with clean clothes, not crying. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I have definitely run into that. I know people who have gotten divorced because of DevRel jobs. It's just they're never there. You know, they're stressed out all the time. And it's just, it's just like the sad reality of it. And I think people in DevRel, like every, we all kind of know, like, that that's that's a thing um, we're all pretty cognizant of you know symptoms of burnout and things like that so we all kind of stay on top of it but yeah I mean that's really the the reality of it is that you just get burnt out and then uh, if you're coming from like an engineering background it just it, it's sort of strange because now you, if you really love to write code you don't always get the opportunity to write a ton of code um, that was one of the things that I noticed is that I I still write code but I write a lot less of it. And I'm less inclined to go work on my little dinky apps and like 
things like that after hours just because I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I definitely have noticed that. Is that something you think like companies could do a better job with, or do you think it's just kind of par for the course? Um, I think the answer really kind of depends on your company. So some companies will definitely benefit from having DevRel people do a lot of code, um, especially if you're like an API as a service company. I'll, I'll pick on Twilio here because I, I freaking love them. Um, but, you know, they... They incorporate Twilio into a lot of things. Their evangelism team is constantly creating little apps, doing live streams of coding and things that incorporate Twilio. Whereas, um, I guess, well, I'll pick on a web hosting company. Like, if you're a web hosting company, you don't necessarily need to be writing code as much as maybe documentation for here's how you deploy this thing using these utilities onto our service. Um, so I think it kind of, yeah, it, it kind of depends. But, uh, and I think it gets more complex as well because it also depends on um, the, the individuals in the role as well. So if you've got folks, I see a lot of people cycle back out when they say, oh, my engineering skills are really decaying. Yeah, um, um, that's something I think about all the time. It's like I would have a hard time passing engineering interviews right now. I mean, it's something I could fix, certainly, but it's like if, I, if they wanted to drag and drop me into an engineering role, like there would be a ramp-up period for sure. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, um, but that that's totally a thing. I see a lot of people make that career change. Um, I see a lot of people get laid off, which is pretty unfortunate. Um, that, like I said, DevRel's usually the, the first thing to go. Um, but that's kind of a, a fun thing. Um, I notice a lot of people talking about money in DevRel too, because everybody kind of expects that to, to happen at some point in time. It's like, oh yeah, I, I know that my job is kind of perpetually on the line and I kind of need to, to always be hustling. Um, so that's something that at least I'm kind of passionate about is the whole money aspect of it. So I pretty much live in constant fear of losing my job and especially living in the Bay Area. It's like I can't afford to really do that um, because it's very, very expensive. And uh, yeah, so I try to kind of set myself up for some financial is, stability. <laughs> is part of that, not not just DevRel, but kind of compounding a, a very American mindset as well, the whole right to work thing. I think uh, that's definitely part of it. Yeah, so um, I think this is an interesting topic because for the most part with like American engineers, I see we don't do a good job of saving or really like, how do I put it, appreciating that this is a high net worth job that mm -hmm. might not always be that way. Um, you know, like yeah. there are different bubbles in tech and also there's, you well, know, more automation and more demand bubble. coming into the market. Um, yeah. So... You know, I don't feel like we necessarily prepare for that most of the time. We think, like, especially, like, I haven't been through the dot-com bubble. Uh, so me and my peers, we just think, oh, it's always going to be this great, but it might not be. No, um, and especially, I don't know if you've been keeping tabs on, like, the AI stuff that's going on, but people are trying to make machines that can kind of program themselves and can kind of teach themselves things, and I'm like, oh, hell, I'm going to be out of a job. Like, <laughs> great. Great. Uh, yeah, but, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I think uh, I... I have a lot of friends that are really passionate about finance uh, and, and things like that. So it, we kind of talk about it all the time. Um, and we, I, I talk to so many people that just don't really pay attention to, to finance at all. And, you know, especially I think with, I'll, I'll pick on the millennials. I hate to say millennials cause it's kind of a stupid term, but you know, it's just like, Oh, well, you know, I moved to the Bay area and now I've got my six figure income. Like, let's go nuts. I'm going to go buy my BMW at 22 years old and, and kind of do all that. And it's not really a smart decision. Um, I've talked to a lot of people that don't save for retirement. They don't save money at all. They just 
can't be bothered to to deal with any of that and i'm like oh my gosh like how do you live that would cause me so much anxiety if i was just like yeah i've got five dollars in my checking account right now it's like i lived that life before and i don't want to go back to it i don't know why people keep doing that you know aren't you a millennial i totally am um okay. but i think it's a stupid <laughs> term like yeah. it just i i hate it as a a label i guess maybe i just hate labels I think so gets, what are you, what's your take on that, Jessica? What do you see kind of in the European market? Do people um, take it more well, seriously? Even past the European market. So one thing that really frustrated me um, a couple of years ago, so I went from working in tech and not being paid fantastically well uh, to um, working in developer relations, which has actually been, I've, I've been really lucky. It's been really nice. Um, and I think that you that, that yeah there's really when you look at the tech industry both in europe and the us i think most most anywhere uh, it's really two tier with the same skill set so you'll see people uh, my favorite example is um we have ict staff in schools here in the uk um sorry i don't have a british accent i'm, I'm not native um but these are folks who build up the websites they build and take care of the databases they do all the hardware they do all the networking um the skill set I've seen attached to folks who do this stuff day in, day out is like a junior full stack dev. Uh, and they get paid anywhere between uh, 13 and 18,000 pounds a year. Um, I know, right? Uh, but you also see folks who are developers working for nonprofits or folks who are uh, database administrators working for hospitals. So you see folks who have the exact same skill set um, and really, I think, should be more welcomed as part of the tech community. Um, who, who for, for us to say, oh, you know what, the money's fantastic. Uh, that used to fill me with rage back in the day. So these days I kind of think of um, the well-renumerated, well-recognized sort of tech, tech folks. And then the folks who are doing the same thing, often in roles with the exact same title who aren't really getting what they deserve. Yeah, um, um, no, I, would, I agree. It's really, really hard though, because on one hand you're like, hey, this is the perspective, everyone's perspective limited. Say, hey, this is the way things are right now uh, for me and some of my peers. And it's, it's really easy to go ahead and address that one. Oh yeah, um, it's, it's totally a bubble thing. Like there's like the Silicon Valley tech where it's like, yeah, I work for some swank startup. I make, you know, $180,000 a year and I'm 20 years old. Like there's like that whole mentality. And then there's like, yeah, I'm a DBA at some hospital and I make like 40 grand a year cool i mean they're they, they're doing the same exact work um it's just like different perspectives and kind of yeah uh it, i've heard people talk about it as like old tech versus new tech whereas like the the hipster startup scene is kind of like the new tech and then there's like the dinosaur tech and it's like people working in a basement like fixing mainframes and all that crap and it's like it's literally the same work but the disparity between the two is just like enormous yeah, I, I'm secretly, gently, maybe more than gently uncomfortable with, with, with what you've sort of described as new tech. So uh, for me, they're being so much built on speculation and so much built at Han hype um, makes me, as a, as a very old woman, uh, terribly, terribly nervous. Like the whole, every, my heart stopping for three seconds every time someone says bubble. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, um, It does eventually come back around too, right? Because I saw oh, like, yeah. uh uh, Cobalt, what was it? Cobalt Cowboys was a freelance firm that just staffs like Cobalt for financial 
it's, it's cobalt programmers. So much so money like, in that. You know, for a while, they didn't make much, and now they're just making like whatever they want because there's hardly any cobalt programmers left. Yeah, cold fusion people too. Like they are yeah. making bank. Right it's now. really interesting. Like just the cycles in our industry of how oh this isn't cool anymore, it doesn't pay well, and then at some point it's not cool anymore, but it pays more. Um, yeah, that happened with weird. PHP. Like PHP for a while was like that thing that you did and you'd be lucky to make like 25 yeah. grand. Doing PHP. I remember at one point being yeah. like, I should probably warn Ruby because that's what yeah. pays well. And now it's like, well, everybody knows Ruby, you know? Yeah. So now you can find a ton of Ruby developers like PHP. Once it started getting more traction and, and more development and releases started coming out, like it really, really took off. And then, even for if you're not doing like a SaaS thing, you know, things like WordPress, there's a lot of e-commerce going on with PHP. Um, I mean, hell, even Facebook and, and things like that. Yahoo, I think part of ask.com is also PHP. Um, there's just so much of it. Some some legacy stuff, but you, you see a lot of new stuff too, which is interesting. I don't expect to see a lot of like new COBOL being written, but... Um. <laughs> really fun. Um, so I was talking to... I don't know if these are a thing in the U.S. I can only imagine that they are. So sometimes recruitment firms will run specialized training courses for, for folks who want to get into development, and they pay you sort of a uh, salary while they do that. And then to recoup their investment, they contract you out uh, for a year or two, sort of a... Interesting. Yeah, and I was, I was just chatting to someone who's putting together a program like that for um, legacy languages that are in high demand. So I think they're running a COBOL course, a Delphi course. Um, yeah, just stuff you wouldn't really expect a lot of people to be training anymore. Yeah, that sounds like uh, a pretty cool take on something else on our list was boot camps, right? So that's uh, almost yeah. like a boot camp that actually gets you paid. That's pretty cool. I've, I've had some friends uh, and acquaintances go through programs like that with very, very mixed results. Um, so yeah, I, I have a lot of opinions on those, which are, are kind of fine folks who've already done them and get their, their opinion as brutally as they can give it to you, uh, both for boot camps and paid training programs. Yeah, uh, I definitely, I have a love-hate relationship with the boot camps. Um, I have interviewed and even hired people who have come out of those programs. Some of them are great. Um, other times I've had candidates come to me and their, their resumes look great. They get a lot of polish on their resume. They, they're great at the phone screen. You have them come in and do, you know, a code challenge or something, and they just, they're, they're missing a chunk of the developer education that they need. And I don't, I think some of the boot camps do a great job with that, and others just leave enormous holes in the education that makes it really hard to actually be a developer. Uh, so just to get my biases out, uh, my lovely house husband is actually off doing a boot camp at the moment. So he just started Monday. Um, hi, Matt. You better be in bed. It's like two in the morning. <laughs> um, uh, but I was a, so I was a linguist and a teacher before I got into tech. And I'm, I'm really gently suspicious of quite a bit of, of the boot camp buzz. I think a lot of what's problematic is you see people say like, oh, you know what, in... Uh, I think the, the shortest time I've seen is like, 12 weeks. In 12 weeks, you're going to be a JavaScript developer. And I think that leads to really unfair expectations for both people going through this program. Like, I've done this. Aren't I done? Uh, that doesn't really reflect sort of the, the lifelong learning and the massive holes you're going to have in your skill set. Yeah. But also for employers, it, it's not very honest. Um, 
Yeah, I, I've kind of been on, on both ends of that. So I went through a, a thing called product school, which is a, a product manager kind of boot camp sort of thing. And it was actually really good. They give you a crash course on, on agile and actually doing like product design, UX design and, and user research and stuff. And it was great. Uh, there were people that came out of similar programs that I had to interview that just didn't understand anything. They had no idea about like agile or scrum practices or anything like that. It's just like, I think if we could get the boot camps on the same page, um, then that would be a little helpful. And we could at least kind of, I don't want to say like there needs to be an accreditation or anything like that, but I think, you know, they kind of need to standardize some of these curriculums a little bit because the, the holes are just enormous. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll go, so go ahead. I'll go a step further. And I think that they're like the lack of accreditation is one of the biggest issues. You think so? Um, I think that asking asking the people providing the education to self-certify the education is valuable or expecting the market to validate the education, recognizing that we go through these boom bust demand cycles um, isn't really fair for the people because they're terribly expensive for the most part. Yeah. There's a couple of them that are low and no cost, but they're a not insignificant amount of money. Yeah. There are for, some that are $20,000 or so, but then you also have to pay rent and buy food and all this other stuff. Some give you a stipend, some don't. Like, I think if you are going to be charging as, you know, some of these things are essentially a semester long, right? You know, a few months. If you're going to be charging as much as a university, like I could definitely see needing some sort of accreditation. Um, but, you know, if you're just like a nonprofit that's kind of letting people do it for free, I'm more lax about it, I guess. Uh, so the one, uh, the one Matt's gone on is actually the first one I found that's accredited. So Scotland's got a uh, boot camp that they've accredited through their digital skills government program, uh, which was, yeah, it's a shame that I had to send him on a four-month course to satisfy my curiosity about it. <laughs> <laughs> is he um, What's the reason? Uh, well, he, he, oh, it's very cute. Um, don't, I'm not going to tell him I said cute. Uh, no, he, he's been really, really interested in learning to program for a while, so it was nice. Um, but there are some ones that are free and low cost. So just to, to plug folks that I have no affiliation with, uh, Founders and Coders is down in London, and that's a free JavaScript boot camp. Uh, the Nashville Software School is a low-cost nonprofit boot camp out in Nashville. And I really like the Aidas Developer Academy out in uh, Seattle, which is a year-long program. Uh, there's some other really, really great ones, but those are just the ones that sprung to mind for being really interesting. I think Nashville Software School's PHP stack. Um, I vaguely remember that. If not I PHP lying. We, Rails. We can, we can edit this out if I'm wrong, <laughs> right? That's how. Uh, look it up. We don't. We don't oh. pay for that service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I. I feel like I. I. Yeah. Again, love hate relationship. Like some are done really, really well. Other people have kind of caught on to the fact that boot camps are lucrative, and they they're kind of like the new degree mill, where like, come give us your money, we'll give you a certificate at the end, like put in as much or as little work as you want to. We don't care because we're going to farm you out to some company and get either, you know, like a, a hiring bonus or something because of you or we're going to get part of your salary for the first year or two years or whatever. Um, and some of the programs that do that are okay. Others are just obviously in it to just make as much money as they possibly can and kind of capitalize on people who are trying to make a career switch but in a really shady way. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think that uh, for me, so I do a lot of one-on-one work with folks who want to get into tech or lots and lots of one-on-one calls with like, I want to learn to program, which is absolutely the best thing you can do. Like it makes you feel so good to do these. Um, so mostly chatting with adult learners. Uh, and I think that giving that, giving people this this option that's so incredibly expensive doesn't really do anything to shift any of the larger industry problems we, we, we might want to fix. So I go like, hey, here's a boot camp. This can get you, depending on the quality of the boot camp, able to work as a junior developer in three months, four months. Uh, oh, yeah. But it's $15,000. It's $20,000. It, by the time you count in paying your rent and eating some kind of food, it's $30,000, $50,000. Uh, it's not really making working in technology or working with technology more accessible. It's yeah, not I making totally it. Agree. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and I, I think it's, yeah, in some ways it, it's a disservice too because, you know, if you go through a boot camp for, I feel like if you're doing a boot camp for a year, that's probably, I mean, you're probably a, a pretty decent junior dev coming out of that for sure, but these boot camps that are like, oh yeah, come sit here for eight weeks and we'll teach you how to code and all that stuff, it's like, you're going to have an understanding of code, you're probably going to be able to, to do some little crud apps and things like that in whatever language of, of choice but you're missing key elements of like the software development life cycle. Um, I see people going through these programs that they're not using Git at all. They're not using any oh. sort of version control. Um, so not necessarily Git. Um, Git's obviously my yeah. preferred, but uh, they don't teach anything about version control. They don't teach anything about QA. Um, I, I've seen people go through programs. They're not teaching them about testing and you know, code testing, unit integration testing is like a huge thing right now in, in yeah. the tech industry not covering that at all. So these people come out of these camps and it's like they've never done TDD, which may or may not be an issue depending on your organization, but I feel like a lot of people are trying to incorporate testing into their development lifecycle and there's a huge gap where people just, they don't have any understanding. Or um, another thing I see is people just have no understanding of how to actually get their code running on something other than their laptop. Uh, and I think if you're going to be a developer, like that's a huge thing that you need to know. I mean, you don't necessarily need to know like here are these kernel arguments for the Linux kernel. Like you don't need to know that. I don't think um, if you do like more power to you, like I'm a Gen 2 user. I'm all about crazy kernel crap, but um, like just knowing how to do basic command line Linux, things like that. And I think that that's something that's, and I, I see this as well on, and I, I kind of expect to see this in online tutorial environments. So the proliferation of the, the learn to code in browser environments are so interesting. Uh, and I love them because they're so wonderfully accessible. You don't yeah. need anything to get started. It's free, assuming you have access to some kind of laptop uh, with some kind of connection to the internet. Um, but I think the expectations there get, get very challenging. And I think that the, the connection between follow along in your browser and actually do this in real life. There, there are, again, these big gaps we're not accurately covering. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I totally agree. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting. So I, I've, yeah, I'm really, really into, I love um, Free Code Camp, um, just because they, they really put in a lot of energy behind that, but also they've got, so it's a free online tutorial course for JavaScript. But I think it's like 1600 hours total. Uh, so it's huge and it's project based but they've got a large community. So they've got people who are, are ready to say like, okay, here's how you can go ahead and deploy from the command line. Here's what Git looks like. Here's why you care about Git. 
here's why you should never do that thing you just did. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I'm addicted to Stack Overflow. I don't know how people do stuff without that. And I think like these days it's, I guess depending on your learning style, it's pretty easy to teach yourself a lot of this stuff too. Um, I mean, certainly if you need a boot camp, those are out there for you. They're available to you. Um, but I think a lot of people are quick to go the boot camp route without actually taking the time to look at what resources communities make available to them. Um, you know, within the PHP community, I mean, there are people who do video series that are either free or very, very cheap. Um, you know, compared to a boot camp, certainly. Uh, or just people who write all sorts of blog posts, people who write about testing, people who write about database optimization, query optimization, things like that. Um, and I feel like a lot of that stuff gets overlooked in favor of getting the shiny certificate that says you completed the bootcamp. Um, I, I think uh, things do get very certificate focused at times, but also, again, massive education nerd. A lot of people <laughs> do, and, and this is me as well. Like I do much better in mixed skill level real life environments. Uh, the ability to learn from a person who's right there while at the same time teaching your peers uh, is really, really valuable for a lot, uh, a lot of people in the way they learn. Yeah, um, it's sure. just a shame that it's a setup where it, it's actually quite expensive. Um, and it gets really challenging as well because there are some fantastic technologists uh, working in these, these kind of settings. And there's also some fantastic teachers but the skill set, like developing the skill set to be a great programmer and the skill set to be a great teacher, uh, you really don't see a lot of people who have had the the sort of time and support to to work at both of those skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I'm I'm with you on the certificate chasing. Like, I got a master's degree. I know all about chasing the paper. But like, I, I think it's without that accreditation or, you know, some of these schools that don't have, or the boot camps rather, that don't have that sort of recognition. Like there's, they're selling you this piece of paper that doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything, but it doesn't have as much weight as like, Oh, you got a CS degree or, Oh, yeah. whatever, you know? So I think it'd be really helpful for people that like don't know where to start because it, I mean, think about how would you start learning how to develop like, a React site from zero knowledge. There's so many hoops you have to jump through. So much you have so much base knowledge before you can even do something. Uh, I think it'd be really good for those people as long as their expectations are that like this is going to get me past the first hurdle, and then I had to put in a shitload of time after that. Um, but the, yeah, for the people that think I'm going to do this boot camp and then I'm going to get a job, I hadn't seen that work out too well for most people. I it, see it work out. Um, for people who go into, that do like mobile development boot camps, I see a lot of people come out of those that get jobs very, very quickly. Um, I, I try to, so I'm, I'm a big fan of Treehouse personally. Like I try to turn people onto Treehouse because it's relatively cheap. Um, you still have the certificate program if you want it, if you need something like that. But if you decide that you are not interested in creating React apps, you can easily switch to learning how to do PHP. And they're great about assuming you know absolutely nothing. So if you do know something, you can jump into the more advanced things. If you don't know anything at all, they have like this giant start here section that's just like, here's how to set up a development environment on your computer. Are you running Windows? Are you running you know, OS X? Are you running Linux? Like here's how you do all this stuff. Um, and I feel like it's much, much cheaper, but also it's 
less of a risk, right? So you're not stuck in treehouse for eight weeks or six months or however long. It's like you can try it. You can get a feel for it. If you decide like, this is terrible, I don't want to do this, then you're not out 20 grand. <laughs> so yes, the, I recommend, I, no, go ahead, Jessica. No, no, no. I keep cutting you off. <laughs> I recommend a lot of people to Udacity. I've never done okay. treehouse, but I've done some Udacity stuff and I've had people under me that have. And they have really good material. So it's like, if you're already fairly driven, you just don't know how to direct that for the most part. Um, you can do something like that, where it's yeah. kind of at your own pace, but you're wearing a curriculum. Uh, and it seems to work pretty well. So something I, I so I work with a lot of uh, self-taught learners with uh, outreach and mentorship stuff that's fantastic. Uh, the learners are fantastic. I'm mediocre. Um, but one thing I see again and again is that um, if the self-taught talent doesn't really look like what employers expect uh, technical talent to look like, there can be a lot of challenges. Uh, so I see a lot of underrepresented folks who are self-taught who have a portfolio, have the skills, and they're ready to go. Uh, but if they don't have a some kind of certificate or some kind of um, sort of social proof that they've put the time in, something uh, to legitimize their experience, I often see that they have quite a bit more problems. Um, um, yeah, it's lazy <laughs> on the behalf of employers and it's, it's very not okay. Um, but even if it's something like an online program that offers a certificate at the end of it, I often find that having that proof and, and having that on a CV or having it on a resume is much more important than it could, should be. Yeah, um, I try to tell people to contribute to open source projects too. There's a ton of low-hanging fruit issues on various projects that are just pretty easy to get into. They're not super hairy issues, um, something that you know junior developers can easily get into. Even if it's just documentation things or whatever, like, Contributing is contributing at the end of the day, um, and I think that is a very, very powerful thing to have on your resume as well. No, it's fantastic, yeah. Um, all right, let's, uh, we've been talking about this one for a while, so let's move on to, uh, we have hackathons next. Oh, yay, hackathons. Let's talk about hackathons. Going back into some DevRel stuff and some teaching opportunities, I guess. I guess it combines the two. <laughs> Um, I actually, I, I personally really recommend, uh, I, I really like hackathons for false beginners. Uh, so folks who think their skill level is quite low, who, who really need uh, an environment, a hands-on environment to test things out and, and get a little bit more confidence. Unfortunately, it really depends on the individual hackathon. If your first one or your first foray into working with other developers in the wild is a miserable, hyper-competitive uh, Red Bull fest. Um, I've seen a lot of people like come in for the first time, have a completely miserable experience, and just leave, leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I've definitely seen that. I think my favorite ones, uh, I usually don't participate in the hackathons. I'm usually a mentor. I help people with Git things or with whatever they happen to be doing, um, Rails, PHP, crap. Um, I, I really like the ones where, yeah, the expectations are very low. Yeah, it's competitive, but it's not like um, major league hacking, where it's a very, very serious thing. You know, it's a different different kind of event, different level of event. You know, they're competing for sponsorships or VC money or things like that. I really like the ones that are more grassrootsy, just kind of, they're there to help. And yeah, you might get a prize or something, but it's not as high pressure, I think. Um, 
not that I, I mind the high pressure ones, like those are actually very entertaining for me to watch. Some of the things that the people in those events come up with are absolutely amazing. I'm amazed that they get some of those things done, you know, in, in a weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't know that I could handle that. Like I'm way too old to be staying up for 48 hours at this point in my life. Like I really like sleep, so <laughs> I don't know that I could do it. Um. Yeah, I really, I like a lot of the MLH ones quite a bit, though, because they're all, they're all university students, and they're youngins, and they're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and yeah. Yeah, no, they're, um, they're really, really passionate, and I like that energy from those events. It's just, it's very, very, like, they're very, very focused, very, very serious, very driven, and that's... Uh, it always makes me feel very old. <laughs> it's intimidating. It's like, holy crap, like, you're like... 19 years old and you're like doing all this crazy algorithm crap and i'm like i was doing like really terrible php not algorithmic stuff when i was 19 years old like i made some websites and i'm like these kids are smart like well kids is probably not the right thing to say but like these they're really really freaking smart and it makes me feel dumb like it's not even like it's not even an i'm too old thing it's just like an i'm dumb thing like you you people are just unbelievably smart <laughs> i missed out i missed out on something <laughs> um, i also like fully non-competitive hackathons quite a bit yeah. uh so it's very very selfish but um I, I do some work with transcode with naomi Sater, who is absolutely both the brains and the energy of all that um, and we, we do a bunch of completely non-competitive hacks and it's glorious. Yeah. yeah. I love doing that at like events. Um, so going to a conference, uh, I think Laracon's probably my favorite place to do it at. Cause I'll just tweet out like, Hey, we're meeting under the stairs to go bang out some code and like 50 people will show up if you use like the Laracon hashtag. So that's happened like the last two years now. Um, I'll probably do it again this year. So yeah, yeah if you're going to Laracon, let's, let's hack under the stairs. Um, yeah, so I love just like the impromptu people getting together, working on code. There's no competition whatsoever. It's just um, uh, there are some guys working on like an e-commerce app and um, someone walked down, like overheard them talking about a problem that they were having with their, their platform that they were trying to build and was like, oh yeah, I ran into that. Here's what I did. And the guys turned around and they were like, holy crap, like we didn't even think of that. So it's just <laughs> like people helping each other out it's sort of like not really a hackathon as much as like a hack session. Um, I I love that. Like I live for that. I I'll get on Skype calls with friends sometimes and just or hangouts whatever and be like, yeah, I'm working on this like really crappy PHP thing. Like come watch me be an idiot and like <laughs> laugh at my mistakes, please. Um, I I freaking love that. I learn so much from those. So so much from those. So I I would also say I have a love hate. Um, the idea of company hackathons, I really kind of hate. And I've done them. Like, I've ran them for my company. But over time, I, I hated them more and more because it's, it's kind of an excuse to work your people even harder than they're already working uh, for really no benefit except maybe a plane ticket somewhere where all they do is see a conference room. Um, so more and more, I, I tried to steer away from those. So, like, if we're going to spend a team-building thing, we'll actually, like, go do something fun away from computers um, for the most part. As far as, like, the hackathons, like, you know, Meetup Hackathon or, you know, MLH or whatever, um, I tend to enjoy those. I do wish they had more, like, tracks or maybe just even, like, um, every other one or something was a little more focused to people that don't want to be up all night because I also am too old to stay up all night now. <laughs> uh, 
so like the last one I went to, I went to Space Apps, and I just, you oh, know, cool. I came in, I got some shit done, and then I left at like 7 p.m., and then I came back the next day at like 2 p.m., and like I was straight with my team. I was like, I'll help you do this, but I'm not staying past this time, so we'll see what I get done. <laughs> and they were fun with it, right? But like you don't quite get the same experience. Uh, so I think those are really fun, and they're cool, especially if you're like young. I've done them when I was, you know. 23 and it was great but uh i kind of i wish there was a little more variety there i think even being 23 i quite like to sleep and shower oh yeah <laughs> i don't know if any, any of us like to shower but uh okay know, this is maybe a you thing um, <laughs> no, i think it was uh amanda but, uh, now i have to go out of bed and shower to do the podcast right <gasps> You're not yeah no i allowed i'll own it like i will totally own it like i I mean, like, I, I usually shower at night, um, but I was like, uh, if I go out in public, then I have to shower during the day, and this is, like, public enough for me. <laughs> this is a public-ish appearance. Um, no, I, you can't really see it, but there's a hammock back there. That, that. You have a hammock in your living room? Yeah. Does it stay in the living uh, room, or is it, like, usually outside? A bit of both, so you can't really see, like, there's big doors over here, so I've got like a patio out there, so I can drag Ooh. the hammock out onto the patio and like work from the patio, or I can just like keep it in my apartment and just open the that's doors. Like, that's a life hack. Right yeah. Now. Oh, it's it's the, the greatest shit. It's yeah. the greatest. Yeah. No, if you want to get like really crazy about hammocks, I could talk about hammocks for probably an hour. <laughs> is there like a hammock community? Um, I, I mean, I should have um, known, but there, I didn't there is. It's like an underground hammock community, and people get like really judgmental about hammocks. Really? You, is it there is. a Reddit? Do you have a subreddit? Uh, I actually don't know if there's a subreddit. <laughs> I usually run into these people like while camping, or I'll be at like REI trying to get like a thing for my hammock or whatever, and people are like, How you don't want that. How many like, things does a hammock need? So it's actually a lot. So beyond okay. just a hammock, you have to have the right type you of hammock. You open the door, Jessica, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to. Like, we're doing it. We're talking about, about hammocks right accessories. Now. So a lot of people get the, uh, when they, they buy a hammock, they get the one with like the spreader bar that goes across and it's like the really wide hammock, but you want to get like the camping hammocks because um, those are the ones you can actually, like you can sleep an entire night in them. I actually fall asleep in that thing all the time. I'll be working and then it's just like, yeah, I feel like taking a nap and I can just like pass out. So you need the hammock and then you need a way to hang it. You need uh, either a stand or some hooks. Uh, if you plan on sleeping with it, you need to put something under your butt because your butt will get cold in the middle of the night. Like, uh, I've got a quilt under mine. That's, like, it's a hammock under quilt thing. Um, you can get an air mattress for your hammock as well. Like, that's totally a thing. Um, if you I want to sleep like outside, you need, like, a bug mat. Heating. Like, that's not hammock. No. There we are. No. No is my opinion on that. I didn't think yeah, I no, had firm I... had a hammock opinions, but no to the air mattresses. Yeah, I, I have one, but I can't actually get it to, like, work for me. It doesn't, but like... Can you explain? Is it, like, an air mattress suspended in the air? No, it's, like, a, just a, almost like a camping air mattress thing. Um, uh -huh. Like, one of those self-inflatable things that you just, like, put in the hammock, and then you can lay on top of it. But, like, I... It's just really bulky to me. I don't... I might be too stupid to, to use the air mattress in the hammock, to be honest. But, like, yeah, you can get pretty pretty wild with the uh, the hammock accessories. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's my side tangent for, for hammocks. Um, <laughs> speaking of sleeping, do we want to talk about the, uh, the travel and the conferences and um, bugs? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I've got, like, right a there. weird... Bed bug phobia, which is an entirely reasonable phobia for people who spend time 
in hotels. Yeah, it is not just you. I am fanatical about that. Like, I check every single time I go to a hotel, like, I look at the mattress. I am one of those people. Do you have the, um, so Gary Bernhard? I was um, going to go show off that I've got a big tub of diatomaceous earth, but then I remembered I'm wearing pajama pants. Uh, <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, it was a very professional thing, and then I was like, oh, no, you can't stand up. We're um, problems. At least you're wearing pants. Wait, no. <laughs> Whoa. Or upset. Uh, I'm so obsessively paranoid about uh, bed bugs that when I get back from a trip, just immediately wash all my clothes in hot water, which is absolutely great for your laundry, let me tell you. Uh, but I also have a giant thing of diatomaceous earth where I dust down all my bags, uh, which... Uh, so tell me about that. I'd never heard of this. Uh, diatomaceous earth, it's made of uh, itty-bitty, I think is the technical term, uh, ground-up uh, plant uh, like microscopic uh, animals. It's nice and creepy. Okay, so you uh, put animals on your luggage to prevent animals from I being on I put page. white powder on my luggage, which is going to end bad eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, when any kind of shelled insect comes into come contact with diatomaceous earth, it kills them in a rather horrific fashion. So they, um, they rupture and then dehydrate. Which would make me feel bad if bed bugs weren't the most horrific thing. Yeah, I have a thing. I would. I have a thing with bugs. So, like for the most part, I will leave bugs alone if they're in my house, unless it's something like a roach or a bed bug, or if I know it's a poisonous spider. Like I'm one of those people where it's like if it's a spider and it's just hanging out, we're good. I don't have an issue. As soon as that thing either attacks me, like it's dead, and I, I lump bed bugs into that category because that's like that's a health thing. Like, spider, probably not going to bother me too much, but, eh. Like, I haven't had a yeah. problem yet, but I really like my flat, and I don't want to move, and I would I would move to the moon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, I don't forget about travel too much. Maybe just I hadn't thought about it, and now you've started the new phobia. Well, but I had been welcome. kind of freaking out, because I live in New York now, and, it, like, everyone says, like, everyone that lives in New York eventually gets bed bugs. Uh, oh, so, like, anytime I wake up with, like, a bite or an itch or something, I'm, like, ah. freaking out and, like, Googling bed bugs and, like, looking at my scratches to see how they look. And, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. glad that we're having this conversation at 2.30 in the morning because I did not want to sleep after this call. <laughs> no worries. Um, we can move on to something else. We can move on to, to conversation. I met travel, somebody. Actually, and You're in New York. Have you ever been to Rudy's? Uh, I don't think so. What is it? I'm going to bully you because Rudy's is an institution. Rudy's is, is a bar down in Midtown that has $6 pitchers and free hot dogs. I am not. Yes, yeah, me info. I think I've been there because they're open yeah. like way, way late. They if are not 24 hours. I was talking to someone who used to live above Rudy in the Rudy's in the 90s. And I was, I was so excited. I mean, this, this was somebody who had lived the dream. And they were like, no, it was terrible. I was really cautious. I was like, well, alcoholism? Too many hot dogs? Too much joy? You could never love again? He's like, oh, bed bugs. I was like, oh. oh yeah, I'm not going It's the there. only time somebody's ever mentioned bed bugs, and I was like, oh, maybe I can stick that out. <laughs> no, their, their hot dogs are, like, famous, though, aren't they? Like, that's a thing um, that people do at, like, 2 in the morning when they're drunk, is go get hot dogs there, I'm pretty sure. I, I have never been drunk there myself, but having been at Tipsy there, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah those, the hot dogs are quite good, eh? 
Yeah, I don't I don't live in the city much, so I'd have to be really drunk. I'd have to be like drunk enough to think an hour train ride for a hot dog was a good idea. Which that's it's like, not a hot dog. It's as many it? drunk hot dogs as you want. <laughs> okay. Yeah, which is two. The, like, the buffet style, right? No, they bring them to you. You just like, okay, can I have some beer? Also, can I have a hot dog? Uh, okay, yeah. so there's there's a bar in the neighborhood that's uh, like free pizza with every beer. It's kind of like oh, that, right? Awesome. And it's it's all like a personal pizza. So they're like, what kind of pizza do you oh, want crap. with your beer? And they just bring you a fucking pizza. So, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. New York <laughs> is really cementing itself as a quite good city in this call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. It's fun. Um, all right, so travel. Uh, what's everyone I got coming up for travel and conferences? Oh, Lord. Um, so I have OSCON on my list. I've got PHP Tech coming up as well. Um, I think it froze. Oh, we're good. Never mind. Uh, yeah, OSCON, PHP Tech. Um, I will also be at Laracon. I'm going on the Coder Cruise as well, so oh, cool. I will see people on the, the cruise ship, and we can, we can talk nerdy to each other. Um, and that's really it for me for now. So you have to hit me up when you're here for a Laracon. It's, I don't have a ticket, but I plan to do like after party drinking. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, there's like a list of people that are like, you need to talk to me when <laughs> yeah. like, all right. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I need to stay for a week after Laracon in order to catch up. Should anyway, go ahead. Uh, I'll be joining you for Oscon, um, and and rather pleased with my spell self for getting to speak at that one, uh, and awesome. then heading off to Voxed Athens, which is very exciting. Uh, but next week, next Wednesday, I'm going to be in Amsterdam for the Drupal dinner, uh, which looks really laid back. Like, any excuse to get to Amsterdam is a good excuse. Yeah, earlier when we were talking about DevRel being really challenging, it's, it's difficult because it is. You are tired. It is difficult. It is a lot of effort. But this is kind of the life I wanted when I was 14. I just casually said, oh, I'll be in Amsterdam next Wednesday. Um, and I think it's, it's easy to overlook how fantastic that is. Like yeah, it's, jobs it's something, I don't travel as much as y'all do, right? But I do travel a good bit. So I, you know, it's stressful, like prepping for talks and traveling and whatever. But I do try to like stop every now and then and be like, I just hit like three cities in a month or two. Like, this is actually like a really privileged life that like I know people that haven't seen three cities outside of where they live, you know? Mm hmm. I know people that have never left the state that they were born in, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be in Amsterdam this week, and then next week I'm going to be in London, and I'll be in Paris a few weeks after that. Um, no, I think, uh, so, like, real talk, a lot of people look at it and they're like, oh, you know, it must be so hard. You get you get paid to travel and, you know, see the world on someone else's dime, and it's like, well, that's true, but you also sacrifice a lot in order to do it. Um, so I think we, we talked about how you, you pretty much, you can't have a family or you need to have a family that is very, very understanding of what you do. Um, or maybe you even have the capital to bring your family with you on some of these trips. I know people who do that. Um, but like you, you can't really have pets. Relationships are very, very hard. You spend a lot of money on an apartment that you're never in, um, things like that. So like, it's, it's great. It's a great lifestyle, but it's not without, it's downsides either. I always try and balance it where I was like, I'm so lucky and so tired. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. you got to be in, you know. So actually, I just had one of these where I had to do a, a meetup here in San Francisco, and then I had to be in Denver the next day to do a meetup um, that day. But I also had a meeting with some people at uh, 11 in the morning. So I had to take the 6 a.m. flight from Denver <laughs> 
And I was up for probably like 16, 17 hours that day. It was pretty rough. Oh, you don't yeah. fly on planes. You don't sleep on planes. I don't sleep on planes. Oh. Yeah, so that was a, that was a little hard, um, getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning to make my flight. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, sleeping on planes. I'm also at DevRelCon Tokyo. Oh, awesome. Uh, July, which I'm pretty chuffed nice. about. I used to live in Japan, so it's a great excuse to go back and see how bad my Japanese has gotten. <laughs> Japan's nice. amazing. Like, That's cool. I yeah. love Japan. Um, um, so I have Lone Star in Dallas coming up uh, like next weekend. Oh, so oh my god, I gotta work on my talk more. What's your uh, talk? <laughs> I'm getting to one is more than just a hammer. So it's about like how to use other languages along with your PHP projects, like Ooh. you should, how they interact, things like that. Uh, I'm getting another one. I don't remember which one it is. <laughs> but I've given it before, so I'm not. That one doesn't go to the top of the list. The more than just a hammer is my first time giving it. So, uh, and then the next one after that is uh, PHP Day in Verona. Oh wow, uh, nice. That's that gonna be terrible, Verona. Oh no. Oh, I've never no. been to Italy, so I'm super excited to go. So I'm gonna fly into Rome, spend a few days there, and then uh, train up to Verona, spend a few days nice. there. I might try to like scooch over to Venice for a day. We'll see. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it coming up. I um, just got accepted to PHP South Africa in Cape Town this year. So nice. That'll be awesome. Nice. I did it in Joburg last year. It was great. It's actually like one of my favorite conferences ever. I've heard that so from a I'm lot of people excited. who've been. It's it's wild, right? Because the conference isn't like extravagant or amazing or anything. It's one track. Um, but I, I usually prefer one track conferences just because I feel like you get to connect with people a little better. Um, but the people there were just really fucking amazing. Um, everyone's kind of like, it didn't feel as rushed as a lot of the U.S. conferences, and they also, they just, like, really appreciated the opportunities to program. Um, okay. is it, like, how do I put it? Like, here, a lot of people take it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a programmer, whatever. Um, but there, it's like, they have a lot of economic issues, so it legit changes lives. Um, so it was really interesting. It was cool. For folks who really, really want to get to conferences or want to do a little bit of travel where your employer is not backing you, is not, is not paying for your travel. Um, when I was independent and paying uh, my own way quite a bit more, uh, I really liked the website. It's Travel Pirates in the U.S., uh, or holiday pirates in the UK, and if you you're listening told to this, me about this and I I'm totally addicted to that. Yeah. Um, and they're they're sort of lucky dip. They just post whatever deals they find. Nice. Um, but they've got a really active community. So if you tell them something within reason, like "Hi, I need to be in Belgium in July. What can you do?" Uh, they'll often find you things. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh, do, are, are y'all looking at it right now and be like, "Oh, I could." I could yeah, I just pulled it up actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for any of you listening at home, I strongly recommend not looking at this on your phone if you've been drinking. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, unless, you, <laughs> yeah, uh, unless you have a very, very understanding travel partner. <laughs> oh, is it going to be like 20 connections or is it expensive? Uh, no, but I, like, from personal experience, the whole like, hey, we're going to Istanbul next week uh, is, a, wow. is a, a hard sell. <laughs> By the that's way, it. I got drunk and booked us some flights. Tipsy, <laughs> okay. tipsy. Yeah, no, that's something I would do. Um, I used to do that when I was freelancing. I'd be like, you know what? I, I'm going to go to Germany this week. Like, why not? 
Um, and I, uh, it didn't exist at the time, but my favorite site for just like random flights is Hitmonk because they, yeah, they them. yeah um, probably a bit more expensive than what you're talking about, but I get a lot of just relatively cheap flights. Um, you can sort by agony, which is my favorite thing, which is like some magic combination of price, but also horrific layover. Um, so yeah. you can get the, the $200 flight to Norway if you want to sit for 12 hours at LAX. <laughs> there are worse things. There are worse things. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's pretty much my go-to um, if I'm not flying on. I, I tend to stick to Delta or Southwest if I'm flying or try to, but sometimes yeah. you're just expensive. I like always to Delta now because, you know, once you get status... Yeah, it's, it's gamification, right? So, like, I always want status, and I have status. So I like, don't want to lose status now. And it's like, yeah, it's a hundred bucks, but I'll get all these miles or a hundred bucks more. It's just a horrible cycle, and I know, like, I'm just their puppet, but I still do it. Yeah, so. you got to get into that uh, million miler club because then you yeah, you retain that your status. Amazing, but also depressing. So. I know people who do it, man. Like they they got their status like way back when, and now they don't have to fly as much, but they still have pretty legit status. Oh, yeah, yeah, one day. So, right. well, because you one do day. quite a bit of travel, what is the worst airport in your estimation? LAX. Oh, that's weird, because you, you pronounce Heathrow completely different than I would. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will take Heathrow any freaking day. So, the part that shits me about LAX is that you can fly into LAX, have a flight in a different effing terminal and have to leave security to yeah. go to that terminal. It's bullshit. Oh, you <laughs> would not like Charles de Gaulle. I don't remember having issues there. Did you just gray out from rage? Because that happens to me sometimes. <laughs> maybe, or it, I didn't have to leave. Maybe my flights were in the same terminal and I didn't have that weird experience. Um, for anyone listening who's looking for someplace in Europe to visit Birmingham, airport's fantastic, uh, and it's like 10 minutes on the train to town. Also, the finest city in the UK. That is Edinburgh. Uh, the one I hate the most is probably when no one's been to, but uh, my company is headquartered out of Alabama. So Montgomery, Alabama Airport is like my least favorite in the world. My mom has rage about that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, MGM's the airport code. You know airport codes. But it's uh, they just really don't give a fuck about like times. But to go anywhere from MGM, you have to either jump through Dallas or you hop through Atlanta. And so times actually fucking matter when you have connections. Uh, yeah. But they don't understand that. So it's I've, also it's a little puddle jumper, so it's just a really shitty flight in general. I've been to Montgomery a bunch of times and was completely unaware that they had an airport. <laughs> my mom yeah. used to drive to Atlanta like she wouldn't even bother with that airport she'd be like screw it driving to yeah, Atlanta that's what I do now actually <laughs> I fly in Atlanta and just drive so it's not worth it. yeah but driving in Atlanta like yeah maybe it's the American in me but it's, it's kind of fun right you get to be really super aggressive and like, like, I'm going to sit in traffic for nine hours and swear <laughs> yeah well, I mean I do that at home I don't have to be in traffic <laughs> I have I have mini rage about Atlanta, like the airport, because I'll I'll fly in on Delta and usually have to switch between terminals, which is kind of irritating if I have a really tight connection. And sometimes the little train thing breaks down, and you have to take a bus or something. Um, and my main issue with Atlanta specifically is that it's always freaking hot, and the lines for food are just stupidly long. Uh, they have so, not 
figured out the food situation. The food is my favorite thing about Atlanta, just because there's so many like good shitty southern food options that remind me of yeah. like my childhood. Like I fly in, and I can get Chick Fil A or Crystals. Or, there's a Zaxby's you know, kind of in there now. Oh my god! And they have uh, yeah. yeah Fridays. Like if I want to go upscale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like the food options are great, but you you're gonna wait a while at least. Yeah. I I tend to fly in during peak hours, so I find that I am waiting a long freaking time. Apparently, Cal has noticed the giant pile of T-shirts that's behind me. <laughs> yes, Cal. Those are T-shirts. Um. All of them are from conferences. <laughs> oh my god! Time. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can say um, no. I do now. Um, I'm very, very selective about the t-shirts that I take. Um, there was a while where like everybody was giving out t-shirts, and it's just like, yeah, here, come take a t-shirt. So I got like a ton of them. Um, now I really only grab t-shirts from companies that I really, really like, or if it's like a really cool t-shirt design or something. Um, there are a few that I collect. I collect like Heroku t-shirts because they usually do like a unique design per event. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's my pile of t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so we have a couple things left on the list, but I do want to be aware, Jessica, I know it's pretty late for you. You have a yeah. few minutes in you or you uh, I've got yourself? up to 10 more minutes. Uh, if okay. I start crying, y'all can just cut the feed, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. We'll edit from that. <laughs> like, we'll edit out the crying. <laughs> Or you can uh, you can put on like the the dog mask thing or whatever that I had earlier. Then no one. Will oh, know. the Google effects. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> They're going away. <laughs> we have to use them while we can. I know we have to use them while we can. Is um, this part of yeah, everything like, becoming Snapchat? Because I'm I'm getting real tired of that too. So. Oh yeah, I don't I don't understand Snapchat. Like I, well, uh, I guess news, I'm not it's hip. The same as Facebook now and Instagram and. Everything Snapchat. Chat. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't understand. Um, I I have friends who use Snapchat, and they send me like little videos, and I'm like, why? Why couldn't you just text this to me? Like, it's not a lewd picture, so I don't know why you can't just text it. Apparently, it's not been for boobs for some time. Yeah. No. Like people post legitimate things, and I'm like, I know Snapchat is like the thing that you send pictures of your your dong on. Like, I don't, I don't know what other, what else people do with Snapchat. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's uh, that's wonderful. The monocle. Yeah, it kind of completes that art. Yeah. All right. So the next topic, now that we've covered dicks on Snapchat, is uh, <laughs> our parents thinking we're awesome because of the. Uh, internet celebrity and probably travel right so like what kind of funny stories do you have um my mother thinks it's amazing that uh i have been on podcasts before <laughs> like she's pretty excited about that um i, I don't know i have send to... her a link of this like, hey, yeah you know. i should be like hi mom and dad um no my dad follows me on twitter and stuff too oh, and that's so cute it's hilarious it's adorable um yeah, actually, he he tweeted at me uh, 56 minutes ago, apparently. Um, but yeah, so like they they follow me on social media. They talk about me to all their friends. And I'm like, y'all don't know that I'm secretly a tech loser, but we'll, we'll pretend that I'm like famous. <laughs> we'll pretend. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see. What I, so the, the town hall is slightly vulgar for those that don't fucking know, right? <laughs> And we drink a lot, and we cuss a lot, and we talk about Snapchat. <laughs> but my parents are super religious. You know, they're from Alabama, and they're very, like, you know, 
all that all that that entails uh and then one day they just mentioned like oh yeah we've been watching your podcast and they're so excited about it i'm just horrified just like fucking horrified so i'm like i i don't know what i've said oh god <laughs> hi mom and dad i don't send pictures of my dick on snapchat <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like yeah, my, no, um, I, uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. My folks uh, growing up, so they they were they were very very into travel. Uh, so my grandparents raised me, and they're just fantastic, completely bonkers people. Um, and they were always very into travel, and I was always very jealous. So they'd uh, start a story saying, "Oh, you know the the first time we were in Belarus? No, 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 not no. That was the third time. Remember, it was in the spring." Uh, well, I would stand in the background, just completely mouth agape, be like, where's Belarus? What's going on? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, so yeah, like now it just feels a little bit like I've gotten to be my folks, uh, which is weird because it makes me feel very cool. Yeah. And I think that's the most mom thing I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my parents travel a lot. They, uh, one's in the military, one is former military. So like they did the traveling thing early on. Uh, my dad did consulting for a while. My mom still travels all the time. So they're like, they're more like, how the hell do you do it? Like <laughs> they're, they got it out of their system early and like, they kind of have a love hate relationship with travel. So they're like, yeah, um, we don't know how you managed to do that for several years. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah. heard that. Um, I think they're doing a boat race outside, so there's lots of air horns right now. I didn't hear it. Sorry. Uh, I've been okay, hearing it a that's lot awesome. Because I'm I'm on the flight path to LGA, so you can probably hear that plane. I don't know. I have SFO in Oakland, nice. so you might hear those. I live in the best insulated flat in the UK, so you'll hear nothing. Well, I have my doors open too, which probably doesn't help. There's like birds and um, that's the best there's a party going on at the yacht club. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's really well insulated here. Yeah, no, one of my requirements was I wanted to be, I wanted to have concrete floors and ceilings in my apartment because I hate hearing other people. Yeah. Anyway, that's another tangent. I could rage about apartment life. <laughs> for sure. Oh, we should totally cover that in a later episode because, yeah. I have anger. I have anger. <laughs> Let's just say Seattle lies when they say you don't need air conditioning. It's it's a big old lie. Yeah, for the most part, you don't need air conditioning out here. I actually don't have air conditioning. I have um, wind power, which so I crack the window open in my bedroom, and then I open the doors, and it sucks air through. That's my air conditioning. Yeah, you too can pay three thousand dollars a month to not have air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> yeah, I have heat that kind of works sometimes. Oh, if I am on the knife edge of still being able to be awake and chirpy and competent, uh, if I dropped off, would you guys get to yeah, continue so to chat? Yeah, so one more topic. Oh, okay. Uh, which I think we can cover completely fine without you, Jessica. Oh, okay. So you want to Unless you have strong opinions. I have, I'm so sorry that I'm barely lucid at this point. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> that could be really interesting. I, no. um, <laughs> I think me from the past thought that being awake 1 to 3 a.m. would be very fun and uh me at am, realizes that i'm i'm actually a bit older than i thought i was yep that struggle <laughs> is real yeah um if you want to pop off we can i totally... will with my with my terrible apologies to everyone it's all good thank you I totally so understand morning uh, i think no thank you so much for having me great um, yeah, glad we finally got to sit down and, and chat about this stuff 
And yeah, I'll chat to you, Raskhan, and then I'll see you probably to drag you to Rudy's fairly soon. Definitely. All right. Have a good night. Get some rest. All right. Good night. Yeah. Night. All right. So, so the last topic we have is the best one. So I'm going to make a drink for this. I, I think you should probably do the same. Oh, drinks. Okay. Um, I can do drinks. All right. Let's uh, let's take a drink break. Do right. we have like hold music? Uh, hold on. I've got something on my iTunes. It's probably gangster rap, but let's see. Can it be gangsters paradise, please? We can make that happen. Hold on. Yes. It's gonna be the worst for people on iTunes. All right. I'm gonna turn my camera off and get boost so people don't see my frog pajama pants. <laughs> that's that's what the people came for. Oh, totally. I mean, that's why I'm here, is to wear frog pajama pants. All right. BRB. All right. Whoop, here we go. my jam that's your jam that's my jam yeah no i'm really glad that like i didn't turn my camera on for the first segment of that song because i was going pretty ham oh were you yeah, i was you can see that nah nah nobody wants to see that <laughs> no i actually uh, take dance classes on wednesday um and it is probably the most horrific thing for people to watch but it's fun wait say that it's again fun. i uh, i take dance classes on wednesday so uh oh, class okay. What kind of dance? Today. Uh, so actually jazz funk, which is really more of like uh, it almost it's basically hip hop dancing almost. Like it's very it's not like jazz funk is a very misleading name for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I go and I, I get my grind on. Nice. As you do. Nice. Yeah. Get, I do get that your all twerk on. Oh yeah, yeah. Twerking. I uh, I was twerking to let it go the other day because I was drunk and that's what you do when you're drunk. <laughs> How do you even twerk to let it go? Uh, step one, drink a lot of alcohol. Step two, um, just start twerking and hope that you're in time with the beat. <laughs> All right. Okay. What is your beverage of choice? Uh, gin and tonic. I wasn't Later. feeling particularly fancy, but I have the chai spiced ale, Blue Moon. Nice, nice. How was that? I had that one. Uh, I don't remember, so I will tell you. Was that also from the twerking night? <laughs> it was not. No, it's not okay. bad. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. I had some, uh, what's it called? Red herring or something? Some shitty British beer that Phil brought over. But, uh, yeah, figures more than gin night. That's fair. That's fair. All right, so we have a doozy of a topic that we are going to get into, um, and that is why we have alcohol.
Um, so we have to talk about one PHP thing, right? Um, it is, after all, the PHP Town Hall. That's that a, it's a Town Hall wrong? between two people against the PHP community. All right. Um, yeah, so uh, for people who have been paying attention to Twitter, which is probably most of you um, since you're here, and that's probably how you get here, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of drama in the Drupal community surrounding Larry and kind of going into the whole, like, code of conduct thing and what's appropriate to, you know, hold somebody accountable for, what's not appropriate to hold somebody accountable for, and it's just kind of been, like, a, a mess. <laughs> Yeah, so let me give a little context for those that don't know. Uh, Larry Garfield has been a long-time contributor to Drupal. Uh, He's super active both in code and just in the community. Speaks at Drupal cons and is uh, kind of the fixture around the PHP community all over the place, but especially in Drupal. Uh, He was outed. Uh, Well, he eventually outed himself, but he was uh, had some people like go behind his back and complain to the Drupal leadership about some of his uh, things from his personal life. Um, and so the leadership in turn basically kicked him out of Drupal, um, not just DrupalCon, not just the core committee, but I believe they even asked him to step away from the community entirely. Um, and so yeah, it's, it's been quite a, a big deal. Um, and Larry's been pretty transparent about it. Like I said, he outed himself, and he's posted a ton of information that, I, Larry, I just I feel really bad for you, man. Nobody should have to post those kind of details about their personal life. It's, it's none of their business. Um, and it's just really sad that it came down to that. Yeah, I, uh, I followed that pretty closely because I, I don't know Larry all that well, but I see him pretty much everywhere. Um, and he's really, really active, not just in Drupal, but in the PHP community as a whole. He gets involved in the FIG. He's been involved in, like, PHP core mailing lists and stuff. So he pops up all over the place. And, like, my perception of him is that he's just, like, a really nice dude who's always willing to help people. He does a lot to promote people, um, especially people who are, you know, in various states of, underprivileged or underrepresented in tech. Uh, I mean, just women in particular, um, and some of the things that he was involved in, I guess the concern was that it meant that he was anti-women, and I just, I, I find that so unbelievably hard to, to fathom, to be perfectly honest with you, because that's just not what I've seen from him at all. Yeah, so, like, just to be clear, because it's all out there anyway, um, he's involved in Gorian culture, uh, which is like an offshoot or a subculture of BDSM. Uh, and so but the thing that I guess is controversial about it is they role-play uh, dominant and submissive kind of to a, a next-level extent, even more than traditional BDSM, at least from like what I've read and uh, what people have said. So that's kind of where the, the trouble came in. But Larry has since came out... Um, so uh, that was uh, kind of the sticky point with it, right? It was, to what point does Larry do this because it's role-playing? To what point does he do it because it's his actual beliefs that, like, women should be submissive to men? And he completely came out in his blog post and said, like, hey, these are the things I've done for the community. You haven't seen that acted out in the way I've handled myself in the community. And this is just a role-play for me. Um, and I think it's super transparent, and I completely legitimate, in my opinion, because everything I've seen from Larry has been very respectful towards women, especially, like, in the FIG. He's been one of the people standing up for women and for diversity oh, yeah. and code of conduct in the FIG uh, against, you know, some very loud um, dejectors of that. 
he's done very well to stand up for people. Yeah, and and that's really kind of like my perception of the whole thing is, and to be perfectly honest, you know, even if it is his belief system, you know, let's say even if he does actually believe that women are subservient to men, that is not what I've seen from him. Like in the community and all of his interactions with not just within the Drupal community, but within within PHP and just from him in general. I mean, like even following him on Twitter, you never see any sort of evidence of that. So I feel like at what point does that even matter? You know, even if he does think that, is he acting on that? Is he actively promoting that within the community? And the answer, at least from my perspective, is no. So I don't understand why this has become such a big deal, why he was asked to to step down from the, the things that he's involved in just because of... Uh, and I, I believe the, the forum, or at least one of the forum posts in question was, you know, like 10 years old or something. So, you know, why yeah, does it It was like matter? 10 years old on yeah. a private forum for that lifestyle, right? Um, I think there's a lot of lost in translation there. Cause it's very easy to go into something that's uh, kind of a closed community and not understand just the... You, you don't have to get a lot of context when you post in something like that because everyone there already knows the context. You, you know, you don't have to say something and then justify it. You can just say something. Yeah. Uh, we do that in, in tech in our own ways, right? We don't have to justify why well, we might get JavaScript shit. It's not that we actually hate JavaScript. It's that, you know, there's this long-running joke against JavaScript in the PHP community. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that there, a little bit of, you know, we're looking from the outside in and we don't see the context. And also, again, it's 10 years ago. It's in this closed community for people that are also role-playing this lifestyle. It's really unfair to, to judge that from an external viewpoint. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I know people who participate in, in various activities, not just within the BDSM community, but within other kind of, um, I guess you could consider it fetish or whatever. And, like, if they're leaving people alone, why does it matter, you know? Um, I think uh, another group that people kind of like to pick on is like the the furries and like that whole fandom and that whole, I don't know if it's a lifestyle, a fetish, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that are into that in tech. And for the most part, you don't hear about it. They're not bothering anybody. So, but people are very, very quick to be judgmental about it and kind of be like, oh, well, you're a furry, like get out of my community. And I don't, I don't understand that. Like what you do in your spare time, um, I, Unless it was something completely egregious, I just cannot fathom holding that against somebody. And, you know, the, the thing that shits me the most is that this this affects his career. Like, this affects his his ability to make money. Like, that's just so... I can't understand wanting to destroy somebody so badly over something that, you know, isn't isn't really a problem <laughs> in the first yeah. place, you know? So, like, to be fair to both sides, the, the argument for kicking him out. It's basically like um, to take to an extreme, if someone were a closet Nazi, you wouldn't want them as a leadership role in your community, even if you've never seen that kind of play out in their interactions. Because we do take action and make decisions uh, based on our bias, whether we mm -hmm. acknowledge the bias or not. Um, so that if Larry really did think women were subservient and like lesser beings to men, I can absolutely understand why you might not want him as a spokesperson for your community. Uh, but again, I mean, Larry's denied that he sees that, and I've seen no real evidence of Larry actually thinking that way in yeah, exactly. like his day to day life at all. Like, none. Um, so that's actually a big problem with both the Drupal leadership. With 
drives and just the leadership in general is if you can't tell the community what he did wrong, if it's just this vague, his beliefs, uh, you know, whatever, there's this thing we have that no one knows about that Larry doesn't even seem to know about, you know, it's all very vague. Um, but if you can't prove to the community that he did some kind of violation, then it really just seems like a, I don't want to say a cover-up, but a smokescreen, maybe, right? It seems kind of like they got scared and they didn't like the blowback from the community, so they kicked him out because that was an easier option. And they can't really justify it now. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, and that's kind of the impression that I got. And of course, there's there's two sides to every story. Um, I I feel like I've read more of Larry's, and you know, in talking to Larry, like I have more of his side of things than with the Drupal Association. Um, I feel like we haven't really seen a whole lot from them. And I don't know if that's because they, they can't share it or they're trying to respect privacy or whatever. But at this point, I, I sort of feel like they need to come up with something because really just people aren't seeing evidence of this. You know, it. like I said, I mean, even if he truly believed that, his actions are very not that. You know, he's actively promoting women in the community. He's actively helping people in underrepresented groups in tech and... He, he goes above and beyond. You see him all the time. So it, it just, I don't know, even if he did truly believe that, I just, I don't think it affects the work that he does and the, the, the community involvement at all. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it's really sad to see. And I, I understand why a lot of people in the community are scared of you know, their personal lives playing a part. Because um, yeah, again, if your personal life doesn't hurt anybody, it, it shouldn't affect your professional life, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, and you can apply this to, to to any group, you know? What if you're you're gay and people don't agree with that? Can you be ejected from a community for being gay? Yeah. Where's where's the line, you know? And, you know, some people argue, well, you know, you're gay, that's not hurting anybody. Other people say that's against my religion, my beliefs, whatever. Like, where where do you draw the line <laughs> yeah. for all of that stuff? And, you know, is it... Is it fair to go after somebody's livelihood and somebody's career because of, you know, something that they do in their spare time that's unrelated to the work that they're doing in the community? In some cases, probably yes. Um, you know, you mentioned neo-Nazis. Like, that's probably an example of, you know, I probably don't want to be talking to them so much. Um, but again, if you don't know and it's not affecting their work, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, know. I think it is a fine line, right, between yeah. we're putting you in a position where you represent our community and then just, like, people have to work with you. Um, there were years ago, back in Alabama, I worked with a guy, and I eventually found out that he was a member of like, the KKK. Um, no fucking idea. I had to work with this guy for years. He did great work. It was fine. Uh, but then, actually, there's just, like, a horrible thing behind the scenes. So it is very possible for people to have really shitty beliefs mm -hmm. and not pull that into their work. Yeah. Um, no, and I, I definitely wouldn't agree with that. I don't I don't even really believe, you know, kind of the, the Gorian lifestyle where women are subservient to men and whatever. But, you know, if people want to do that, that's fine. I don't care. It doesn't really phase me too much. Yeah, so like at the end of the day with that, like what makes it different than anything else, right, is just consent. So it's not like in that type of relationship women are, you know, put into it out of their will. You know, it's a consenting thing on both sides. Whatever the reason people choose to do it, they choose to do it. As long as everyone in, involved is consenting, then who gives a shit, right? Yeah. And I think in, in cases of racism, I mean, like you said, you might actually never know. And, you know, they might go out of their way to 
to try not to be biased in the workplace because, you know, it's a professional setting and you can believe what you want to believe, but at the end of the day, you got to get paychecks so that you can, you know, put food on your table and stuff. So people, uh, it would not surprise me if people were just sucking it up and, you know, not sharing their beliefs. And I don't necessarily agree with that belief system, but if it's not affecting your work and I don't know about it, then, you know, I really can't, <laughs> I can't say much about it, you know? So, yeah, that whole situation was just very, very unfortunate. Um, yes, I, I think what we're basically ending up is just, uh, you know, everybody show Larry some support and understanding, at least. Um, you know, like you said, there are two sides to every story. So there could be more we don't know. But from all the evidence we have, which actions speak louder than thoughts, um, you know, Larry's just, he's a stand-up member of the community, and he's going through a really fucking yeah. hard time. So yeah. Yeah, no, it's really, really unfortunate. So hopefully that gets resolved relatively soon. I think uh, the Drupal Association's feeling a little bit of a uh, little bit of pressure. Yeah, I saw um, DrupalConfessions.com. I think it was came yeah. out today, and it's like some very high-level people in Drupal are basically threatening to fork if the association doesn't, you know, explain themselves. So I, I think that's really good to see. Regardless of the outcome, it's it's really awesome when a community stands up for itself. Yeah, um, and to Larry's credit, he's been very, very open about how he he doesn't want Drupal to be hurt by this. He he wants the best for the project. He's he's taken the high road, um, and that's that's been really great to see from him. So, like in a way, it kind of sucks that this is getting so much attention because I'm sure that's really not what he would want. But um, I I. I'm honestly really glad to see, yeah, like you said, they're they're standing up for themselves. They're saying, this isn't right. We're not going to tolerate this. Um, and that's, I, I feel like that's what they should be doing. Yeah, agreed. It's, end of the day, it's good to see. It's really good to see a community, you know, rally around its own. Yeah. yeah I mean, you never want to see that, but I, I yeah. like that they're standing up for their own. They're saying like, hey, you know, we don't even necessarily, like on the, the Drupal Confessions page, it's like, this isn't necessarily pro-Larry or pro-Larry's beliefs. It's just the belief that, you know, you can do whatever you want in your spare time. And, you know, that's separate from your community contributions was kind yeah. of the takeaway from that. And I, I definitely support that. Absolutely. Totally. All right. Uh, so that was our, our big scary Romance. topic of the night. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to cover? No, I think that was uh, pretty much the uh, the list. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay. I just I want to say you just kind of sickening me, like how bright and sunny it looks out your window. So. Yeah, it's uh, we're supposed to get some thunderstorms here soon, so it got really cloudy all of a sudden. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. the sun will set here in probably an hour. Disgusting. <laughs> all right. It's been fun. Uh, if you want to hang on, I'm probably going to like tweet out the link for people to join, but it's up to you. Uh, but yeah. Let's do it. It's great to finally get our second episode under yeah. our belt. Um, shooting for more consistency. Hopefully no more health issues or work yeah. things. Yeah. Hopefully. Dying is not fun. Highly recommend you not die. Did, did you die? Uh, so I had this really weird, uh, like heart and lung thing. So there was fluid around my heart and my lungs, and uh, oh shit! Yeah, so they were thinking it was uh, myocarditis, which is like a really, really serious thing. It, hmm. but I'm really not convinced it's that. <laughs> um, I got a second opinion, and they were like, "Yeah, we could see why they thought that, but we're not really sure." So I don't know. Nobody knows what's going on. But anyway, um, myocarditis like kills people. It's kind of, uh, oh, wow. yeah, um, a lot of people with that end up on, like, heart transplant lists and all sorts of fun shit. So hoping it's not that. Seems fine now. I think we're good. Are they, like, still testing or? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go in like every two weeks to oh, get wow. random things done. Yeah. Wow, that's still up there. Yeah, that seems to be fine. That's I mean, it. it seems to kind of fix itself. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're back. I am too. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we'll stay back. Yeah. Let's uh, let's call it. All right. Cool. All right. Later, everyone. Catch you uh, next time. <laughs>